By the way, if you would like to be one of the scripture readers, I like to uh, invite children and youth to read first and foremost. But if you would like to read, or maybe your, your, your children or grandchildren would like to read, or neighbor's children, let me know. It's okay to volunteer somebody else as well. No, I'm just kidding on the last part. But thank you, Mackenzie, for reading uh, today. I don't know about you, but I love books. I love books. Any of you like to read Any of you maybe like to read, but you don't get a lot of time to read, that's okay too. Uh, But I love books. In books, you know, you can go to faraway places, you can go to faraway lands, you can learn about many different things. I love books. I like to read. I didn't always like to read. In fact, I used to kind of loathe reading, except for biographies. I remember I was in second or third grade, and I discovered these little uh, biographies written probably from a fourth or fifth or third grade reading level. They were all 192 pages about, you know, America's founders, and it would talk about their childhood. So it would say, Daniel Boone, boyhood hunter or something. It would be about Daniel Boone, and then there was one about Davy Crockett and Benjamin Franklin and many of these others, and I really learned to love biographies during that time period. And, but I really didn't like to read much as I got into high school. And when I was in 12th grade, I decided to take advanced English, advanced English. Before, we had beginner's English, and I think it was just called academic English, and then advanced English. And I thought, sure, I'll try advanced English. Well, somewhere, sometime along the beginning of that advanced English class, they gave us a book. It was called Sarum by Edward Rutherford. And this book was about 1,200 pages long. I got that book and thought, whoa, (laughs) What did I sign up for? I didn't like to read much back then, and I certainly did not like to read books that were 1,200 pages long. Didn't think I could do it. Didn't know if I would like it. Thought I might have to kind of skim different parts or cheat a little bit. Skimming, I don't not really cheat. But anyways, um, but little did I know I would really enjoy that book. And little did I know, if you schedule your reading from September through the end of the school year, from September through May, you know, you can get a lot of reading done. I really began to enjoy that book. Sarum is historical fiction, historical fiction. Edward Rutherford is a writer, and he tracked a family in England from hundreds of years before Christ up until the 1980s. It was neat to see how he weaved historical events, he weaved real-life historical events into this fictional tale of this family as he wrote about them. He tracked the family and their descendants from ancient pagan England with the Druids and Stonehenge up through Christianity and the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, and up until post-World War II, ending in the 1980s. It was neat, and I really enjoyed it. In fact, years after that, I realized that there's a whole series of books by Edward Rutherford that are, that are similar. A whole series of books by Edward Rutherford that are historical fiction. In 2007, I began Edward Rutherford's book titled London. And in a similar manner, he, he tracked a, a fictional family from a couple of hundred years before Christ in London through the 1980s. He, he, he tracked this family through the Middle Ages and through Renaissance, through Christianity coming into London, all the way through World War II. And it was fiction, but he also weaved in the building of real cathedrals in London and the um, Vikings taking over London and the Puritans and all these different things. It was quite interesting. He's written this whole series, and most all of Edward Rutherford's books take place in England, though he has one about New York City at this point. Once again, I love books. In books, you can go 
to faraway places and to faraway lands and into faraway times. In books, you can learn about faraway things. I love books. You know, the Edward Rutherford books, Sarum and London, and there's one called The Forest, there's one called The Princes of Ireland. The Edward Rutherford books have a common theme, a common theme, and so does the Bible. The Bible has a common theme. We can track the theme of the Bible from Genesis through Revelation. We can track the theme of prophecy from Genesis through Revelation. What we see throughout the whole Bible is that God is in control. God is in control even of the details. Actually, that was my very first sermon ever when I was in 12th grade. It was about how God is in control of the details and how we can look at all these prophecies of the Old Testament and see their fulfillment in the New Testament and we can see how God is in control of the details. God cares about the details. Cross-referencing and how one verse correlates with with another has always encouraged my faith. Looking at cross-references throughout Scripture and, and, and seeing how one verse in Scripture correlates with another has always encouraged and uplifted my faith. And that's really been the point of this sermon series. Two weeks ago, I looked at uh, Genesis 3.15 and the very first prophecy about the Messiah, the very first prediction about Jesus as the Messiah. And we saw his connection in Matthew chapter 1 as well as Galatians chapter 4 verse 4. And it's my goal to encourage your faith, seeing how the Old Testament connects to the New Testament. And I'm going to continue that series today. I wonder if you ever doubt, if you ever have doubts about Scripture, about Jesus, about anything like that. If so, don't get discouraged, but do something about it. Seek the Lord more. Um, I started jogging in 2011 regularly. And I started jogging with the guy who's now in charge of the young adult group at Alliance Friends. I just saw him last week, and his two sons were baptized there last Sunday. But when I started running with him, I started running with him as a prayer partner. And when I started running with him, he would admit that he had certain doubts. But you know what he did? He poured himself into the scriptures. He signed up for discipleship training, which I led. He started meeting with me as a prayer partner. He also started going through Lee Strobel's book, uh, The Case for Christ, and many of his other books, The Case for Faith. Many of these are on YouTube, actually. Uh, There are video documentaries about it. And a number of years after that, he said he doesn't doubt anymore. As he sought the Lord, as he grew in his faith, a lot of those doubts went away. It's okay. Sometimes we have doubts, but pursue the Lord. Do something about them. Don't get discouraged. And one thing that has always, always, always encouraged my faith is how all these prophecies in the Old Testament are fulfilled in the New Testament, and some of them even being fulfilled today. They all connect. So that's this sermon series right now. You know, today I'm using the word prophecy lightly. You know, two weeks ago, we talked about a prophecy given by God himself. Genesis 3.15 was given by God himself. Today, we're going to talk about an illusion, an illusion or a type. Just as Israel was called by God out of Egypt, Jesus will also be called out of Egypt. You hear that? Just as Israel was called by God out of Egypt, Jesus was also called out of Egypt. Uh, McKenzie just fabulously read Hosea 11.1. I'm going to read it one more time to let it soak in. When Israel was a child, I loved him. God is speaking through Hosea the prophet. When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Hundreds of years later, the writer, Matthew, the writer of Matthew's gospel, sees that 
type, that allusion to Jesus, that connection. He, he connects the dots in Matthew's gospel, chapter 2, verses 14 through 15, which, which McKenzie fabulously read as well. And it says in Matthew 2, 14, And he, that's Joseph, rose and took the child, that's Jesus, and his mother, that's Mary, by night, and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill. Never miss that. In Matthew's gospel, we see repeatedly, this was to fulfill. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. So today my theme is Jesus is called out of Egypt just like God called the Israelites out of Egypt. And we even see that God protected Jesus in Egypt. And God also protected Israel and even built them into a nation in Egypt. Here's an application. God has total control over the past, the present, and the future. So let's look at the original meaning of Hosea 11.1. In Hosea 11.1, the prophet is talking about how God led Israel out of Egypt. Hosea was reminding them how God lovingly, lovingly led them out of Egypt. We see that in Exodus chapter 4 and following. If you read my uh, Facebook devotions, which were video and now they're just audio, and you can also get them on BethelFriendsChurch.com and even on podcast now, uh, we're going through this, this chapter by chapter. And we're, we ended Exodus chapter 5, and we see this time when God led, miraculously led Israel out of Egypt. God led Israel out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. God lovingly led them out of Egypt. But know what Israel did? They repeatedly responded with idolatry. And look at Hosea 11, verse 2. Hosea writes, inspired by God, The more they called them, the more they went from them. They kept sacrificing to the Baals and burning incense to idols. So God lovingly led Israel out of Egypt, and they returned it by going to idols. God lovingly took care of Israel, leading them out of Egypt, but they went after fake gods. The ESV study Bible shares, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. Here is one of the most endearing passages in Hosea. The prophet uses another family metaphor, portraying the Lord not only as a husband, but also as a father. This metaphor was not original to Hosea. In Exodus, the Lord is portrayed as a loving father. As well, Jesus would portray God as a loving father. In Matthew 2.15, uses a line, Out of Egypt I called my son, to show that Jesus is the son of God, the heir of David, who embodies Israel's relationship to God. Let's jump to Matthew 2.14-15 right now. Matthew's gospel uses this passage when baby Jesus' family leaves Egypt. I'm going to read that passage one more time as well. And he, which is Joseph, rose and took the child and his mother, Mary, by night. Notice how they departed at night. And they departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. All these prophecies, all these allusions to the Messiah, prophecies of the Messiah... They were all fulfilled in Jesus. He fulfilled all of them, connecting the Old Testament with the New Testament. What we see in Matthew chapter 2 is that God is taking care of the young baby Jesus. That, that is powerful. Jesus is fully God and fully man, but Jesus is also a baby or a toddler at this point. God sends a message to Joseph telling him to take Mary and Jesus and go to Egypt. If you look at Matthew, if you're there in your Bibles, look at verse 13. If you look at Matthew chapter 2 verse 13, it says this. 
Now when they had gone, that would be the Magi or the wise men. When the Magi or the wise men had left, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For a Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. God is protecting baby Jesus right now. God is protecting the Messiah. God is protecting, you know, Jesus, even as a toddler, even as a baby right now. He wakes Joseph up in the middle of the night and says, take Jesus, go to Egypt. Take Jesus, go to Egypt. God in his providence knows that Herod wants to kill the Savior. And so God sends Jesus, his family, to Egypt. Then in verses 14 through 18, we see Herod slaughtering babies to try to kill the Messiah. However... Jesus was safe in Egypt. By the way, if you dive into archaeological history, we know that there was a large, very large Jewish remnant in Alexandria, Egypt. Alexandria was a major Egyptian city, and we know that there were something like a million Jews in that area. And you could travel within Egypt pretty well through the Nile. But when Joseph and Mary and Jesus traveled to Egypt, they would have had very difficult traveling conditions. Usually you would go through Jews, uh, from Bethlehem to Jerusalem and from Jerusalem to Egypt. But they couldn't go that way. They had to leave at night and detour around Jerusalem to get to Egypt for their safety to avoid Herod. What is interesting, though, is that while Jesus is in Egypt, he is being protected and in reality, way back in time, while the Jewish people were in Egypt, they were also being protected. They were being protected and they were being formed into a nation. While Israel was in Egypt, they were being formed into a nation. And that is the connection that Matthew noticed. Just as God lovingly took care of the Israelites in Egypt, he also lovingly watched over Jesus. One source shares the following. Matthew looked back and carefully drew analogies between the events of the nation's history and the historical incidents in the life of Jesus. What seems to be happening here is that Matthew noticed that Israel being uh, preserved and made a nation in Egypt is comparable to Jesus and his upbringing being preserved in Egypt. And of course, Matthew knew this passage from Hosea, which we had read. And of course, Matthew is also being inspired by the Lord as he wrote this. You know, Matthew is known for being written to a Jewish audience. And the Jewish audience wanted to know that Jesus, as the Messiah, fulfilled all these prophecies. So Matthew is known for writing, this fulfilled this, this fulfilled this, this fulfilled this. Look at the next few verses. Look at Matthew, verses 16 through 18. Matthew 2, verses 16 through 18. Then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the Magi... He became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the, from the Magi. Then listen to this. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted. Because they were no more. That passage, Matthew quotes Jeremiah 31.15. Matthew continues to quote Old Testament passages showing that Jesus, as the Messiah, fulfilled all these Old Testament prophecies. So what you need to know is that Matthew knew the Old Testament well enough to make the connection between what Hosea wrote in Hosea 11.1. 1, about God leading the Hebrew people out of Egypt. 
and now how God watched over Jesus. The question is, Matthew connected the dots, can we? Do we read our Old Testament ever? Do we look at these prophecies and see how Jesus fulfilled them? I pray that we do, and I hope it encourages our faith as we do. Let's make some applications. Be encouraged. God has total control over the past, the present, and the future. Be encouraged that God is in control. <clears throat> if you are ever discouraged in your faith, remember how the Bible connects with one giant theme from Genesis to Revelation. I'm going to talk more about this here in just a moment, but there are over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. Over 300 about his life, death, and resurrection. The Bible is called a meta-narrative. A meta-narrative. That means that it is one grand story composed of smaller stories. Just like how I started talking about Edward Rutherford's, uh, non, uh, Edward Rutherford's historical fictions with one grand theme. The Bible is a meta-narrative. One grand story made up of smaller stories. We can trust God in the small matters of life because God is in control of everything. We may think little details do not matter to God, but they do. Every little detail matters to God. We may think our prayers do not matter. We may think there are bigger things for God to take care of. But you know what? God can take care of both, the small and the big. God is in control. We may have doubts. Bless you. <laughs> we may have doubts that Jesus was the real Messiah. But all of these passages in the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus showed the validity of who Jesus is and was. All of these prophecies in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Jesus in the New Testament, show the validity, the proofs of who Jesus was. You know that the book of Acts is composed significantly of Old Testament quotes. Something like a third or more of the book of Acts is Old Testament. They're showing that Jesus is the real guy. Jesus is the Messiah. Study the Bible. We can trust the Bible. The Bible is powerful. You know, I'm amazed at how God works things out. Someone once said, when I pray, as in when he prays, coincidences happen. We may think they're coincidences, but somebody prayed about something. Somebody prayed for something. And God worked it out. God made it happen. You know, the United States, we are not God's chosen people. Israel would be God's chosen people. But I do think it is interesting how we can see God's providence over certain world events including the United States. A number of years ago, I was watching a History Channel documentary about the uh, War of 1812. During the War of 1812, the British came and they burned Washington, D.C. Many of us know that. After that, they were heading to Baltimore, and they were going to burn Baltimore to the ground as well. But a hurricane hit their troops, and a hurricane knocked out more of the British troops than the Americans could have at that point. I, I, I watched that and I thought, how often does a hurricane hit Washington, D.C. and Baltimore? It's not that often that hurricanes hit that area. But at this time and at this place, a hurricane hit that area. I could transition that same idea. Sometimes I, sometimes I wonder, did, did God watch over the United States and preserve the United States during that time period so that we could rescue Europe during World War II. What, what would have happened if we could not go into Europe and help World War II? What would have happened if Hitler did not divide his forces and enter Russia? He, he totally weakened himself by fighting a war on two fronts. God is, God is in control of history. 
You know that when Hitler went into Russia, extending himself, the Soviet Union extending himself, they were also not prepared for the Russian winters. You know that the Russian winter hurt Hitler's forces as much as anything? God is in control. What would have happened if those things did not happen? God is in control of things that we may think are coincidences. I referenced 300 prophecies. Over 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament fulfilled in him in the New Testament. Josh McDowell writes the following. He says, one reason the Bible's Old Testament is so important to Christians is that it contains prophecy. Over 300 predictions, in fact, that like the threads of a tapestry, establish the messianic credentials of Jesus. Put another way, the Old Testament is like an intricate jigsaw puzzle. The numerous pieces on their own are puzzling until they are assembled enough to fill out the intended picture. Thus, the New Testament is like the decryption key for unlocking Old Testament meaning. You hear that? The New Testament is like a decryption key for unlocking Old Testament meaning. Josh McDowell continues. Some might say after reading through a list of Old Testament prophecy that some were fulfilled in the deaths of Kennedy, Nasser, and King, and other great figures. One could possibly find a prophecy or two fulfilled in the lives of these notable fellows. But not one of them can be credited with fulfilling all of them. Only Jesus could do so. Jesus fulfilled all of the prophecies relating to the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Savior. Just a handful of prophecy that Jesus fulfilled. Here's just a, a handful of them. He was born in Bethlehem, preceded by a messenger, John the Baptist, entered Jerusalem on a donkey, was betrayed by a friend who received 30 pieces of silver, was silent before his accusers, and died in the manner Romans used for criminals, crucifixion during which they pierce his hands and his feet. All of these prophecies and way more fulfilled in Jesus as the Messiah. I wonder, does that encourage your faith? It always encourages my faith. It shows the validity of who Jesus is and was. It shows the proofs and the validity of the scriptures. Peter Stoner, in his classic book titled Science Speaks, calculated the chance of any man fulfilling these prophecies even down to the present time. And he calculated the chances, the odds of any man fulfilling these prophecies. And this is how he calculated it. He calculated it down to, 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 to be one in, I had to ask for help deciphering all these zeros, one in 100,000 times a trillion or 100 quintillion. One in 100 quintillion. That's the likelihood that one person down to the present time could, could, could fulfill all these prophecies. Jesus did it. Jesus is the real Messiah. He fulfilled all the prophecies and he came, born in Bethlehem, lived 33 years, died in the cross, on the cross for our sins and rose again, interceding for us. How can anyone think that Jesus just happened to be in the right place at the right time. Clearly, we cannot consider coincidence. Be encouraged. The Lord is in control. Do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Have you committed to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Is, he, is Jesus your Lord? Is, he, is, is Jesus your Savior? Have you firmly made the decision to be with Jesus in order to become like him? 
to learn and do all that he says and arrange your affairs around him. Have you at one point in your life made a commitment to Jesus? And then the latter question is, are you living for Jesus now? Are you committed to Jesus now? Is Jesus your life? Is he, you know, be thou my vision, O Lord of my life? Knowing you, do you really know Jesus? Do you really want to know Jesus? He's the real Messiah. He's the real King of kings, Lord of lords. He died on the cross for our sins and rose again, not only for our eternal life, but for our full life now, for our complete life now, our abundant life now. When you know, when you know Jesus, you are born again. And being born again, your interests change. Your passions change. You want to serve the Lord. Do you want to serve the Lord? And I pray that you do. I pray that you're committed to him. I pray that you repent when you realize that you haven't been living for him. Let's pray right now. Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you for being our Savior. Thank you for coming and dying in the cross for our sins and rising again. Thank you for being born in Bethlehem and basically a barn, fulfilling all these prophecies, things that you, as, a, as, as being fully human, could not control in yourself. Being born in Bethlehem. Not a bone was to be broken, and not a bone was broken. Your hands and feet pierced. Thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. Lord God, help us living for you. Help us following you. And if there's anyone here today who has never committed their life to you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. If anyone here has uh, committed to you, but they're really not living for you. They're living in sin. Maybe sin of commission, things that they do that they shouldn't do. Maybe sin of omission, things they don't do that they should do. Help them to repent. Lord God, spending time with you is so important. Knowing you is so important. Having a relationship with you is so important. Help us, Lord, having a relationship with you. Organizing our life, our life around you. Making you the center of our life. Following you. And out of following you, we make disciples. We are evangelists. We're sharing our faith with other people. We're being contagious Christians. Help us, Lord, living for you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have questions about God or the spiritual life, I would love to talk to you. You know, I'm in preaching this sermon series to encourage any doubts and build up your faith. If you have doubts, have no fear. I would love to talk to you. I would love to encourage your faith. If you're a non-Christian here, and you have questions about God or the spiritual life, talk to me. I would love to talk to you. I would love to help you seeking answers, seeking answers. During this closing hymn, if, uh, if something has prompted you and you would like to come forward for prayer, the altars are always open. Come forward and pray at these altars. Let's all stand and sing this perfect hymn for this message. Only trust him. Trust him.